0: happiness isn't brain surgery with Doc Snipes. Each week we record the podcast during a Facebook live broadcast in which Doc Snipes presents information and tools to help you start living happier. Our website docsnipes.com has even more resources, videos, handouts, and workbooks to help you apply what we talk about. After each podcast, the accompanying video, text, and worksheets will be published from members on docsnipes.com. Additionally, each week we have a members-only educational group followed by a question-and-answer session with Doc Snipes to help you apply the tools to yourself and start living happier faster. The Doc Snipes podcast will be providing listeners and members the same tools and information Dr. Snipes gives her clients. Go to DocSnipes.com to learn more. We're going to continue talking about triggers and cravings, and if you missed any of the first three parts, remember, remember that all of them are released on Saturdays as part of our podcast, which you can subscribe to on your favorite podcast app. In this segment, we're going to really quickly explore the concept of stimulus generalization and how over time a behavior like smoking or eating can be triggered by a whole bunch of things. So, generalization. What does that mean? Generalization can occur when characteristics of one instance of something are attributed to all instances. Such as, um, every time I ride on a roller coaster, I get a rush. So, everything that is an adrenaline kind of behavior, an adrenaline-charged behavior, is going to produce a rush. And you come to expect it and anticipate it and look forward to it. Um, Another example would be if you get pulled over by a cop and he's a real jerk and so you expect that every time after that whenever you encounter a cop you expect them all to be real jerks that's generalization you don't know that you just are basing it on your one experience with that particular officer if you experience an intense fight-or-flight reaction then anytime you experience anything similar your brain may alert to the threat So if you have one bad experience with a dentist or a doctor, for example, and you may end up having a negative perception of all dentists or doctors, when in reality, there's some really awesome dentists and doctors out there. I have like the best dentist I've ever had right now. Um, And I won't say I look forward to going there because I don't like having my teeth cleaned. But it isn't an unpleasant experience at all. So my positive experiences outshine you know, the couple of negative experiences I've had. Uh, My daughter, when she was five, went to Moe's for her birthday, got something really spicy, and ended up throwing up all over the table. She was mortified. So now she doesn't want to eat any spicy food because she's afraid it'll make her throw up. Understanding that that stimulus generalization is there for a lot of things. Generalization also occurs when a reminder of something occurs in different settings or over time. So think about people who smoke. Maybe they start out just having a few cigarettes at night when they're trying to relax. And then they have a really stressful day at work. They really want to relax. So they start thinking about having a cigarette. So they go down to wherever, wherever anybody smokes at the office. So then whenever they walk into the office and they walk by the smoking area, their mind is going to go, it would be nice to have a cigarette. Or they're going to remember when they were out there with their friends talking and smoking. That was a positive experience. So they may want to do it again. Then at the mall, you see Sally, who usually goes on smoke breaks with you, which may trigger your desire to smoke because you're like, you know, whenever I see her, I have a cigarette. So it reminds me that I want to smoke. Now... Those are huge steps, and there are small steps in between. But basically what I want you to realize is behaviors can be triggered by people, places, and things. So if you engage in a behavior with somebody in one place and you see them in another place, then you may want to engage in that behavior with them um, at that point in time, and then that place may start making you want to use. Let's look at at it in terms of American eating behaviors, though, because this is really pretty cut and dry, if you will. When a baby's born, it gets hungry and it eats. And, you know, it it gets hungry, it cries, parent feeds it, hunger goes away. Now, the three asterisks next to internal states of sleepy, fussy, and sick, if the parent is unable to differentiate between when the baby has something else going on and every time it cries, the parent pops a bottle in its mouth, um then the baby might start looking to eat whenever it has any of these feeling states. So whenever it's sleepy, it wants to eat. Whenever it's fussy, you know, it may want to eat unless it's colic. Triggers as a baby three months to a year old. So now the baby is a little bit more aware and alert. It's still, when it gets hungry, it wants to eat. It knows that, you know, when I get hungry and I get that bottle – things are all better. So score. They're also, for most of us, our kids have a certain circadian rhythm and they eat at certain times a day. Now, whether you schedule those times in or whether your child just has a really strong circadian rhythm, a lot of times you'll find that your children get hungry roughly the same time each day. At this point, The baby may be, you know, if if it wasn't on a bottle before, the baby may be on a bottle. So when it sees the bottle, normally the bottle wouldn't mean anything. But now when it sees the bottle, it starts getting hungry and wanting to eat. At this age, the baby has also probably been exposed to other people eating and knows that generally when other people are eating, it gets to eat. So it starts crying for the bottle because it's getting used to well, in the past, when I've been at the table and other people have been, I've smelled these things, may not understand eating, it knows that it gets a bottle. And continue, if it's continued to get, if it continues to get fed when it's sleepy, fussy, or sick, then, you know, it may continue to associate remediation of those feelings with food. As a toddler, and as Americans, we get really bad. Um, or get worse as children get older, it seems. We, we have them eat in response to hunger. We have them eat in response to time. It's dinner time. You eat now. They eat in response, or they just think they want to eat, in response to seeing a bottle or other people eating. I mean, if you go into the cafeteria and you sit down, you look around, a lot of people, the majority of people, that's a trigger for them to want to eat. Even if they're not hungry, they're like, other people are eating... I must eat. Internal states for the toddler, if he's sleepy, may start just kind of eating to try to stay awake, so to speak. Um, If they're bored, we may start giving them Cheerios or something. Here, occupy yourself with this bag of Cheerios while mom shops or whatever. Smells. At this age, the child's starting to explore different foods and learning the things that they like. So certain smells may make them want to eat if they you know, whatever it is they like, and places. So if you have a child who is, um, goes around with you, you know, toddlers usually sitting in the in the car seat, and whenever you get in the car, you hand them a bag of goodies to pacify them until you get to wherever. They learn that when I'm in the car, I should be eating or drinking. When I was little, um, or not so little, whenever we would go anywhere, You know, we would go to the grocery store, and we would go shopping, and my mother would always get a bag of chips or something that we had bought at the grocery store and put it in the car with us. So whenever we were in the car, it was natural to be eating, and if we weren't eating, it seemed a little bit weird. Um, The same thing when we would go to the movies. It took me the longest time to break the habit of getting popcorn when I went to the movies because we would go out for dinner before the movies, but then... We went to the movie theater, and it was just one of those things that you did was get popcorn and eat. So when you went to the movie, that was a trigger for getting popcorn. It wasn't a trigger for hunger. It was a trigger for eating. There's a big difference. Um, watching television, a lot of us are very guilty of that. When we watch television, we mindlessly eat. Again, it's, television doesn't trigger hunger. Television triggers our desire to have this hand-to-mouth thing going on. And the generalization can continue. So the more places that you eat, the more places that are going to remind you to eat. Um, If you eat out of a box and you like carry it around, you're going to be more likely to graze and overeat and eat in response to things other than hunger than if you force yourself to fix a plate and sit down at the table. So... Be aware of the different environments that may just be triggering a behavior, not because of a physical need, not because you're hungry, but because that's just what you do in that environment. And how can you change that? Relapse triggers, just to kind of tie it all up in a bow. People, people can be your greatest asset and they can be relapse prevention triggers. They can make you happy. They can represent strength and courage, or they can represent stress and depression know which ones they are and how to affect your interactions with them you may not be able to avoid the people that cause or trigger anxiety stress depression but how you deal with it you can control places may trigger positive feelings and they also may trigger relapses into depression anxiety or addiction what places are safe for you what places make you feel happy and content and of the places you have to go How can you deal with them so they don't trigger negative moods or the desire to engage in escape behaviors? What things make you happy? And yes, I started out with the happy ones because in recovery, it's about getting happy. You know, part of getting happy is getting rid of the unhappy, but you can't measure an absence of something. So the happier you are and the more often you're happy, the less often you're going to be unhappy. What times are triggers for you? If you have low times, depressed times, times of year, um, if you know that you're sensitive to seasonal affective disorder, what can you do? Like add brighter lights and get more sunlight, increase your vitamin D. Um, What can you do to deal with seasonal affective disorder? What activities either make you happy or might trigger depression, anxiety, Anger, etc. Know how your feelings affect you. If your feelings, you know, sometimes you can get depressed and you get angry at yourself for being depressed and you feel guilty for not being able to do the things that you want to do when you're depressed. So, feelings themselves are rarely in isolation. So, when you have depression, what other feelings does it trigger? And how can you trigger happy feelings? And what in what ways does lack of self-care, not getting enough sleep, eating poorly, not getting, setting enough boundaries and having some downtime, in what ways do those things make you more vulnerable to negative relapse? And when you take care of yourself, when you're getting good sleep, eating well, yada, yada, how much happier do you feel? So focusing again on decreasing and minimizing the negative and really amping up the positive triggers in your environment. Triggers are a stimuli that prompt a response. Craving is the repeated thought or sustained desire for that response. So like when you think about making brownies, you really start thinking about the brownies and then you just can't wait till you can eat the brownies. Triggers can be good or bad. So it's just because we're talking about triggers doesn't mean we're talking about something negative. It's important to remember, though, that most people with addictions and or mental health issues have multiple triggers that need to be reconditioned. They can't be completely gotten rid of, especially the cognitive ones. Um, So figuring out what your triggers are and knowing how you can deal with each one or each category of triggers. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. Join our Facebook group at DocSnipes.com slash Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash education or join our community at docsnipes.com. Thanks for tuning in to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Our mission is to make practical tools for living the happiest life affordable and accessible to everyone. We record the podcast during a Facebook Live broadcast each week. Join us free at docsnipes.com Facebook, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player.